glad you're here. My name is Crispina French, and I'm your host of the Rags to Riches podcast. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business, and here I am to show you that you can do that too. Together, we'll navigate hurdles, challenges, and accomplishments while crafting your profitable textile upcycling business to serve you and the planet. My guests and I will cover topics including material sourcing, business savvy, product development, sales and marketing, and self-care. Overcoming struggles, celebrating wins, and reaping rewards of running your very own textile upcycling business is what we are all about. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Sideshow Clothing on Etsy and in person in Craryville, New York. Are you a burgeoning fashion icon who delights in your individual style? Maybe you have a penchant for really good clothing, a love of creative presentation, and respect for our life-giving planet. Or, if you are like me, you like to wear well-made clothing to handle your daily grind and stand up to the test of time. Sideshow Clothing has what you need. Vintage workwear, boots galore, jackets, dresses, ethnic and western wear, the works. Mary curates this creamy collection of inventory, some dating back over 100 years, but mostly fashions from the 1970s through the 1990s. If you want to honor the quality of well-made clothing and stand out in the crowd, check out sideshowclothing.com, where you will find an anecdote to fast fashion and so much more. Hey, so today I'm here with somebody who I'm really excited to learn more about. Loti Vertello has a brand called Loti, you know, kind of like Crispina has a brand called Crispina. Um, and her brand is textile upcycling kind of like um, amped up a notch or two, right? Because what she's, we're, we're going to learn all about it. But Loti, take a minute and just share a little bit about your background and how how did you get interested in just being thoughtful and conscious of your textile consumption to start with. Yeah. Hi. Um, so yes, as Crispina said, my name is Loti. Um, <laughs> I, my background, I mean, since I can remember, I've always wanted to be in fashion. I was actually sharing with Crispina my first fashion memories. Um, I, my mom would draw these like princesses and I would decorate their dresses and whatnot. I designed my first communion dress. These, there are all these little moments in my life that I was like, oh, I was always going to be in fashion. Um, I went to was school your mom, for Is your fashion. mom like a sewer or fashion oriented? Like how did that seed plant? Do you know? My mom is not a sewer, but she's a great artist. She loves to draw. Um, so she would draw kind of like the bodice of the dress and I would decorate it. We still have some of those, which I think is really cool. Um, so awesome. she, she's an artist <laughs> at heart. That's so fun. Yeah. Um, so, so probably as an artist, did she like really encourage your like creative, like, you know, you had the tools that you needed to kind of like go get creative with the textiles? Definitely. Definitely. Like yeah. since a young age, they were like, do this clothing thing. We see like this innate um, draw from you to want to do this. Um, in high so school, cool. I was making my own clothes. I went to like a pre-college program for fashion. It was always there. 
Um, and I went to school for fashion at SCAD for fashion design. And I minored in fibers because I was really interested in textiles. I do think it comes from my Peruvian heritage. So I lived in Lima in Peru until the age 15 when I moved to Miami. So I did high school there. Um, but in Peruvian culture, textiles are really important. And also Peru is a textile hub and apparel hub. We, textiles is one of our main um, imports and exports uh, of like the country. So huge yeah. economy builder as well. So we have a lot of factories there. Um, actually, in my family, like extended family, if somebody owns one a factory, I was going there when I was younger, seeing how like the threads were spun and all the process. So I've always held textiles in a really high regard, like valuing textiles has always been within me. Um, so then I, I graduated school, I came to LA thinking I was only going to stay here for a summer, to be honest, um, got a really good job that I really loved um, in contemporary fashion. It was being a fashion assistant designer at and other stories. Um, it was a great experience. Um, but slowly through jumping from one contemporary brand to another, which I thought was like my dream, you know, like I made it, I'm working in fashion as a designer. Fashion designer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I began becoming really uninterested in fashion, really bored, unexcited, nothing. The only thing that I still enjoyed about fashion was thrifting. Um, so that was like a really so wait, special... What, why were you becoming unengaged? <laughs> like what happened that made you go like, what is this about? Like, how come this, I'm not liking this. Like, what, was there something that prompted yeah, that? Yeah, I think there were two sides to it, honestly. One, it became like a very systematic um, effort. Like what is going on out there? Let's dissect it and create like our own product. Um, it felt very like not creative and not that I was expecting to go into a brand and do like these wacky, intense things. But I did think the design process would be a little more have some more depth depth to it and there's a side of uninterest in the design process um it felt very systematic um there were almost like formulas to creating the designs um and then there was the side of like the behind the scenes of the business um you know a lot of companies are creating product or quantities already include amounts of clothes that are gonna go on sale or you know, they're not destined to be like necessarily sold. There are these tests. Why do and they I do like, that? Like, what's their thought about that? Um, I think their margins are already so high that it is, it's profitable still for them to place those large quantities and sell some of the product for lower. Um, okay. it's, it's like a, a business uh, thing. That's what it felt. That's what I think it, where it comes from. Um, it is yep. still more profitable for them to, um, like, uh, get rid of a part of that collection, I guess. And when I say get rid of, I mean, it's not sold, um, yeah. and place that big quantity versus placing a smaller quantity of what they think is actually going to sell, um, and not have extra waste. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's more profitable. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So, so crazy. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks so for helping that. me understand that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. There's also, uh, treatment with the factories that we work with it's not like someone's treating them badly but there is this huge disconnect um, of the factories that we're working with we don't really know them we don't really know what's going on that felt really odd to me as well um so a lack of transparency and then some <laughs> conversations about social issues uh, i don't think i was in line with what the, these companies stood for not that they were doing anything illegal or not that they were doing anything bad but I, I didn't feel like my voice was being heard in terms of like kind of changing how the company worked. 
um, for what I thought was the better. Um, So there was a point that I realized, okay, either I have to be okay with these things and working in this environment with these, I guess what I would say are like limitations to me enjoying fashion, Mm -hmm. or I have to rethink what I want to do with my career or or leave fashion completely. And that felt really sad. Um, So I continued going thrifting because again, that was the only part of fashion that was still interesting and cool and fun. Um, I actually got a lot of my friends into it that felt still special. Um, And then uh, it kind of hit me that I wanted to do something with specifically textiles. Um, What could I do with textiles? Because I love textiles and hold them in a really high value. And I saw that there was this shift, I think, in the last 10 years that was brought on by fast fashion of just textiles mean nothing. Textiles are garbage. Textiles are disposable. Textiles hold no value, which it didn't used to be the case, you know, like 10 years yeah, ago, it's kind of years horrifying, ago, right? It happened yeah. really fast. And that completely changed our relationship with clothing as well. Um, yeah. You know, our closet started getting more full of things that we regard as garbage just because we're able to get rid of them whenever, get new ones whenever. It's so cheap. So that it's cheap, fun. right? Like, they, yeah, I talk about mm-hmm. how like fast fashion stole the value of clothing, right? Like you can buy a dress from Shein for $12 brand new. And like, yeah, and, and I mean, yeah, I shop crazy. fast fashion. It all happened so fast that you don't yeah. even realize like, how is this possible? How is it possible that this costs this? You're just like, yeah. wow, amazing. They've hacked the system. But then yeah. when you're working in fashion, you realize there is no hacking the system um you're just hacking uh like you're messing with people's lives by uh yeah. paying really poorly Explosion. and you're using yeah yeah and you're using terrible materials that are cheap and will and yeah they're they're garbage um yeah so i knew i wanted to work in that space i wanted to do something with that um it felt like creatively challenging to me to figure it out so i looked into recycling so at this point or, had you thought you had thought about like a, you're thinking about like upcycling at this point or no you were just no, kind of going like a, yeah. not yet not yet no, not okay. yet okay, cool. i i definitely looked into recycling and like what was new and like within innovation within recycling um yep. and then i i think through so many searches of things with recycling, my algorithm started showing me upcycling. And I was like, this is really awesome. This is really cool. Um, and really understanding the difference between recycling and upcycling, which I think can also be confusing for a lot of people. Um, we can like quickly do a little in a nutshell. So recycling is when recycling is when you break down the fibers of a product. So like, for example, paper recycling, that's one w- that we all, re- all are very familiar with. Um, you have to use resources um, to break down the product that you are recycling, and then it's transformed into a less, usually lesser value product. If you look at a pa- brand new piece of paper and a recycled piece of paper, even though the recycled piece of paper is amazing because it's recycled and woohoo, um, it is of lesser <laughs> value. It's not as nice. It can break more easily, um, but we still want recycling and recycling is really important, um, but it does take a lot of resources to do the whole recycling process. And usually the product is of lesser value. With upcycling, what I realize it's kind of like the opposite in that way. There's a lot more, I guess, resources used when it comes to like creativity and like problem solving and solutions, but not actual resource um, resources that you have to use. And in this case, I mean like electricity, water, um, all of the things that you need to power the machinery that does recycling. And then the product that comes out from 
upcycling is of higher value. Yeah, um, so cool. So, it's like turning straw into gold, right? Exactly. But I mean, yeah. there are limitations in this case. Like it takes a lot more time to upcycle something. There's a lot more labor that goes into it, um, a lot more time. Um, and you can only make so many um, of these products. So that, but that speaks to me like small batch, which is fantastic. And that speaks to the whole slowing down and buying, like doing less, buying less. Um, so I really, liked what I was seeing through upcycling, but I also noticed that um, there were all of these incredible artists and designers that were doing upcycling, but it did feel a little out there. I was, I, since I worked in the industry, I was like, okay, these products would not be able to be worn by everyone. I don't think everyone would feel comfortable wearing these products. They're incredible. They're amazing. I love them, but this isn't like your everyday wear and why can't upcycling be part of our everyday lives? So were you thinking like that because of like the patchiness or like the craft, the sort of craft, I'm putting air quotes around that word <laughs> of the making process that it wasn't like as refined or clean in line. Is that what you're thinking? Like as far as like- sure. Even yeah. like the shapes yeah. and the silhouettes um, yeah. that uh, yeah. these uh, designers and artists that I saw that were using were a little more unconventional, a little more yeah. out there. Um, I mean, I love a patchwork where the patch patchwork is so important to us, um, but sometimes um, it can be done in a very outward way. And sometimes yeah. it can be done in a more like toned down, subdued way, which is still yep. celebrating the textiles and the upcycling in itself, but, but it's maybe easier more for marketable. people to venture out and yeah. wear. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. ultimately wanted to create a product that people feel really comfortable wearing, like to the grocery store, and it doesn't have yeah. to be this big fashion statement. Yeah, um, and we love you know, a fashion statement, but yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, but there's like, and I think also the other piece that speaks to me about that is like, you know, I've been doing what I do since 1987, right? And when I started, people didn't know what the word upcycle, like the up, upcycle hadn't even been coined, and the word recycle was like something that was kind of new. Like it was like as soon as the blue bins got on the curb, then people were kind of like, oh, I know what recycle means. Right, but, right. So, you know, when you're making a product like your collection is, that's not like you don't look at it and be like, okay, that that person is like a real bohemian individual creative person, which they might be, but it's not like the first thing you acknowledge about that person. It allows the people who's sort of like the, the sort of status quo, the sort of like regular mm -hmm. person who is not a super creative person. They don't want to be like um, really noticeable. Mm -hmm. Has mm -hmm. this opportunity to dip their toe into textile upcycling. Yeah, so yeah, cool. absolutely. It's beautiful. Our, it's really our what you're brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our tagline is rethink upcycling. I think we have this idea of what upcycling is, but um it, upcycling can be so many things. So we're trying to fill a hole in the market to make upcycling accessible for more people. And I mean yeah. when I say accessible, I just mean like that they would feel comfortable wearing it. Sure. Um, so hey, we're gonna take a quick break. I'm with Loti from Loti. Um, her brand, and she is going to tell us all about what her brand is and how her production process works. So hang in there for a minute. We'll be right back. Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcherhood Recycling Society, my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind, creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, weekly stitch hours, 
Book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business. All right, here we are with Loti and from Loti, which is a brand of really beautiful, refined clothing. For, is it all for women? Do you do a men's line or is it predominantly we ladies wear? Did, it's predominantly uh, women's just because our fit model are women. Um, yeah. But we actually did our best selling wool trousers in, for men as well. Um, we had nice. a couple of custom orders. So we're venturing out. You know, I would love to do for both, but currently it's yeah, mostly down the women. line, right? So yeah, talk a little bit about I know your brand is pretty new. Um, talk about like your founding and like how it's going and how you, you know, what's the production process look like? Yeah. And actually, um, you know what, Loti, let me just interrupt for one second. The production process, but also talk about what the actual garments look like, because, you know, people are listening to us. They might not be in a position to like hop on the show notes page and see the visual. I know when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm like on my sewing machine or driving. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your aesthetic and the, the collection that you design and then how it happens. Yeah, yeah. For me, the most important um, thing for our pieces is, are for them to be comfortable and effortless to wear. So when you put them on, you just like feel good. It's easy. Um, that's why we use a lot of like elastics and ties, um, little um, design adjustments. Um, so it can just feel really good on your body. Um, most of the pieces, I run them by these like three words. So comfort, effortless, and elegant. I do want them to look very like refined and polished. Um, so you can just run out the door and feel great. Uh, I think each collection has kind of had its own like little twist. Um, I think for summer, we do more feminine, brighter colors. Um, the upcycling in itself dictates our color palettes and like the kind of materials that we're using, which is really cool. I think at the beginning, I was like worried that it would be limiting, but it's been the opposite. It's kind of opened my mind to so many more possibilities within what we have. Um, so, you know, so sometimes when you talk we'll do- about the materials, what I, I, your materials are I'm predominantly, I'm, I'm imagining, and I actually don't know, but predominantly cotton and alpaca, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Peru, the uh, Peru's uh, because I'm Peruvian and we do everything in Peru. That's a huge part of the brand identity. So we've chosen to work for like our core collections with only cotton and alpaca, which is Peru's bread and butter like fabrics. That's what we're known yep. for. We'll do, you know, we'll use some other things here and there because they're fun. And I love to reimagine different kinds of textiles like we've done. Uh, we still do a lot with men's silk ties. Um, but that's more for like accessories or smaller items. But our core collection is 100% cotton and some al- some sort of, I mean, 100% alpaca technically, but there's different types of alpaca as well. Um, there's Suri alpaca, Royal alpaca, Supreme alpaca, Baby alpaca. So like a mix of those alpacas. I just have to tell you, <laughs> I love alpaca. Like I just, I love to wear it. I love to work with it. It's like, like, yeah, it's like, it's equally as luscious to me as cashmere. And I feel like it's kind of overlooked by people a lot. And I just thank you for celebrating it because I think it's such a beautiful fiber. I That is one of my big missions to bring alpaca to more people, just because you mentioned cashmere and actually alpaca is way more sustainable than cashmere um, in terms of farming and how the animal interacts with the land um, and how much, uh, how many animals you need to shear um, 
you need way less al- alpacas to make much more alpaca clothing, which is actually more durable also because the fibers are longer. Um, yeah. So I could go on and on about how alpaca is incredible. Um, this is not what this episode is about, but we can talk about. We'll do another, another episode time. about alpaca. But yeah, <laughs> but, so talk uh, about like your. So you design the 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 lines, right? And then yeah. those designs are um, what happens after your design process, and then yeah, what what happens? Yeah, after yeah, that? yeah. So when I first started the brand, um, this was during the pandemic. Um, so a lot of seamstresses lost their jobs. Um, I actually contacted a designer that I knew in Peru and I was like, have you let anyone, have you had to let anyone go that you really like? Like, I'm looking for a seamstress to help me kind of start this line. And she referred me to Nore, who is as big as as a part of the brand as I am. Um, He, we wouldn't be able to do anything we do without him. He's been our head seamstress since day one, which we got really, really lucky with him. Um, He was on board with the whole upcycling thing. I think he wanted to, to work more creatively and that allowed him, um, this project allowed him that. He's still with us. He's still our most important person. <laughs> um, and so I started working with him. I brought all the shirts because for our first collection, we actually upcycled men's uh, cotton shirts, button down shirts for, that I sourced myself from Goodwill outlets here in LA, um, which was a, uh, insane experience of waking up every day (laughs) at 7 30 in the morning and going with my mask to find these shirts and then wash them and then take them to Peru um it was awesome but it also led me to realizing that that was not the way we wanted to upcycle when we had so much uh textile waste in Peru just because wherever there's textile manufacturing there's textile waste produced oh wait I have to interrupt you for a minute (laughs) So you bought shirts at the Goodwill and you brought them to Peru and then you realized that, oh, well, all these factories that are manufacturing, I'm imagining most of the manufacturing that happens in Peru is made for export. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it comes to here. Is it for for the United States or North America? Um, in general, United or? States, South America, Asia. Believe it oh. or not, but yeah, oh, yeah. it's global, all over. Global. Yeah. So they, of course, um, and actually, we we haven't touched upon this, but that when you start thinking about, you know, so you went anyways back to the church. You got to Peru, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's all these factories generating all this waste. Why am yes. I going to bring? this material here, right? Like all of a sudden yes. you had this treasure trove of accessible fabrics that were gorgeous. That yes. You could recycle. Knowing yeah. that I was bringing all of these shirts to Peru and then bringing the newly made clothes back to Peru. So that same material back and forth really left a sour taste in my mouth. Like I knew there was something off there. Um, yeah. But all, again, all of these things you realize by like doing and learning Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, the only way yeah. you learn. Yeah. 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 So at first I was really stressed, to be honest. I was like, I, I don't think this is the right way to do it. I don't even know what the right way to do it. But it opened up the opportunity for me to actually the person who I came up with this idea with my dad, I was like freaking out at my house. And I was like, I don't know what to do because I don't think this is the right way. But I don't know how to cycle just because actually Peru, a lot of people have this misconception that Um, Peru gets a ton of uh, clothing dumped there, but Peru's not one of those uh, countries that gets these big hauls of um, garbage textiles. Fortunately, actually, there is not a big secondhand industry in Peru because people wear their clothes until they're completely, you know, done. And then they'll use them as rags or donate to actual shelters, which is a right way of donating or donating to another person directly. 
Um, so yeah. you know they're not going to go to landfill. There's very little like uh, uh, consumer behaviors are very different in yeah. Peru than yeah. they are here. Yeah, yeah. Um, which so is great. Then it's kind of funny. Like your dad gave you the idea because my dad gave me the idea when I was um, <laughs> starting my business. Like you know, yeah. I was making felt, and he was like, "You could take shrunk wool sweaters from the thrift store." And I was like, oh, "Light bulb!" So yeah. how cool is that? Yeah. The dads have come, you know, for the and, win. Yeah. And I always tell him that. And he was like, no, you told me this. And I just reiterated back to you. You told me there's textile waste in factories. I was like, yes, but my brain wasn't computing in that way in that moment. You gave me this yeah. idea. So cool. Um, That's so awesome. I, so then is, yeah, are your parents yeah. in Peru or do they live in this country? They're in Peru. They're in Lima. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So then yeah, he yeah. was he, he was there living there. Yeah, seeing yeah. that. Oh, yeah. There's all this factory. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. He, and he, so, yeah, no, he's been super helpful, like, especially with that idea. Um, so I had to knock on doors for factories to see who wanted to work with me because it's not like, oh, yeah, here, take my textile waste. It's that's not how it works. Um, that took a while as well. Um, and we actually were lucky enough that we ended up being able to get a meeting with the largest vertically integrated cotton supplier in Peru. They're called Creditix and they are really interested in sustainability and like working with um, kind of like independent small talent um, because I guess they're at that level that they can do these things. Um, That's so we awesome. got that That's first so foot cool. in the door. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, the so then when you ones. got in the door there, all of a sudden, like, okay, you've got credibility now, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And like, if it so works then- with them, it can work with somebody else and we already have it on paper. Yeah, oh, that's um, and that's how we got our alpaca contact, which is Incalpaca, which is also the biggest alpaca supplier in Peru. So we are working with the two giants who have the most waste, which is really awesome, and honestly, the highest quality product as well. Yeah, that's so so cool. So if you could look ahead, like I'm gonna say, like two years mm-hmm. from now, and everything just unfolds in the most magical manner possible for Loti, what yeah. what's the company like? What are you? What? How's it gonna? Um, grow forth into the future yeah right now i mean there is upcycling requires so many more steps and we've kind of created these systems but their systems are a little bit still all over the place because we uh, don't have our own studio in peru so Mm -hmm. having all of our upcycling processes under one roof would kind of like um streamline the whole operation that we're building so that would be like as soon as I can, I, I really want to get a studio in Lima where we can like cut up our textiles, do our inspections, like everything under one roof. That's going to be a game changer for us. But of course, you need capital to be able to have your own studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that would be a huge one. And also have a couple more seamstresses full time that can be supporting us right now. Our full time is Nore and his wife, Luz. Um, and then we also work with uh, another um, seamstress. Her name is also Luz, and she does all of our accessories um, with mostly like ties and things like that. So those are kind of like our, our go-tos for production. But I would like to expand our team because, of course, we want to make more product. Um, but it, it's kind of like that hamster wheel of like, okay, but you need the money to be able to pay because I definitely do not want to cut any corners when it comes to um, like our labor and our textiles. So that's like untouchable for me. So yep. we have to figure out non-negotiable. Other ways to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so um, cool. So you're, I mean, it sounds like you're, you know, you started your business in the pandemic when, let me just tell you, like not a lot of people were thinking about elegant when it came to their clothing. 
right? So like the <laughs> yeah, fact that yeah. you're, you know, you're making headway, like this is pretty cool, right? So now, I mean, I don't know, like I'm in Massachusetts, you're in LA. So I, I if it's like this where you are, I think like we're starting to kind of like look around going, I think the pandemic's behind us for the most part, right? Like I think that, you know, people can start venturing out or are venturing out and like getting dressed in ways where they're going to be in public and around other people and starting to kind of get back into fashion as actually fashion and not just like, you know, loungewear mm-hmm. in front of Zoom, like, you know, still wearing your boxers <laughs> below the waist kind of thing. So um, I think that that is pretty notable that you've been able to make the, to build the business to such a place in this really um, inopportune moment of history. So congratulations. Yeah, I, I truly think it worked because we always made sure our clothes, again, were like effortless and comfortable, effortless and comfortable. Um, that combination of effortless, comfortable and elegant like needs to be present in all of our pieces because that's how I like to, that's the only way that I will dress up for my day yep. kind of thing. Yeah. It feels effortless yep. and comfortable. Yeah. Um, so that was so- really big for us. Yeah. And it's cool that you're like, I mean, I, I hear that, you know, in your story, you're it, like, you're, 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 you know, you have like a system of belief that you're really um, committed to sticking to the, you know, getting tired of that, like non-creative kind of sort of rote job that you had and going like, this is not serving me and it's actually not serving anybody. I need to do something mm-hmm. different, doing something different. And then finding through, you know, trial and error, whatever creative process. I always like to refer to us textile upcyclers as solutionaries. Cause really what we do all day is oh like my God. problems, right? Like you have no idea. Yeah. No, you do have all the idea. Yes. It's just cool that, you know, I, I, I'm of the mindset and I I hope this doesn't sound like offensive at all, but I'm always of the mindset. Like if we're like outsourcing labor to other countries has always been like, not for me. Like, I Mm -hmm, think that that's mm -hmm. like, I understand why, you know, there's no transparency around it. Like it's, it's really difficult to ensure that everything is all good. Well, and it's also for me, like, um, you know, and you know, you're much more of a global citizen than I am, but the, idea of like, you know, I'm Caucasian privileged white girl here in Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, the idea of me being able to buy something for less than it would cost me if my next door neighbor made it because Mm -hmm. some Mm -hmm. person who was underpaid in Bangladesh has a really crappy job that she doesn't really choose to do, but kind of has to do. And that's, you just said like the key word underpaid. The thing is, yes, these making these items will cost less in other countries because the cost of living is less as long as they're getting paid a fair amount, which is fair amount is above minimum wage minimum wage in a country like peru is should be illegal yeah <laughs> like yeah. that is not yeah. so if you're if you're trying to do minimum wage and things like that yeah absolutely but if you're pay, doing fair pay and then pricing your products th- that's the thing we all want to price our products for like less money so more people can buy them but instead we should just be educating to why these products cost what they are with no crazy markups just that's kind of how yeah. we do our pricing for our products. It's like literally this is what it costs to make and this is the regular markup for our business to to be a business. Yeah. Um, you got to be profitable, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think as long as we're like sharing the behind the scenes and educating our consumer like why this costs what it costs and not doing any like luxury markups, like that's not our business. We're trying again to be accessible i think our prices are like aspirational which i i love an aspirational price because that means that you had to 
think about the item before buying it, committing to really wanting the item. And it's, you know, you maybe save up a little for it. You get it. You're excited. Like that, that is how we should buy clothing. Yeah. Um, and like thinking about how, you know, like not buying three, but buying mm-hmm. one that's really meaningful mm-hmm. that you're going to have, like, if it's a dress, like, oh, you're going to wear this to the wedding that you've got coming up this summer, but you're also going to be able to wear it on countless other occasions over the next 20 years. Yeah. And if it right? gets like, a little hole or it needs a little, you know, extra love from a dry cleaner, do it. You paid this amount for it to be with you. Like, I I really believe, and I, this is something that I really want to start talking about through Loti, like, the importance of only buying what we are committing to caring for. Like only, even if it's from Zada, even if it's from H&M, if you buy it, commit to caring for it. Like, I think that would rewire our brains into like understanding how like our relationship with clothes can be like so of value and so beautiful and so positive instead of this like, uh, Sure. I don't, it's yeah. a churn. Um, yeah. So yeah. like it, if you are not ready to just like commit to these like more intense, like sustainable practices, just like commit to only, even if you buy from fast fashion, only buy what you're going to care for. If it rips, are you going to sew it back up? Are you going to wash yeah. it properly? Like, are you going to air yeah. hang dry it to dry? Like, yeah. if so, yeah. amazing. Buy the product that is way yeah. more sustainable than like buying um, only from like sustainable designers and not caring for your clothes and throwing it away. Yeah. Um, so like totally we, we really need to like rewire this whole, like it's about the relationship with clothes. It's not like even the clothing in itself. Like we need to take a step back. Yeah. I love that. I think that's such a cool thing just to like put in the thought process of, you you know, consuming textiles. Right. And I, I even like, I have this thing where a couple of years ago, I can't remember now. I wish I should try to think back mm-hmm. to where I heard this, but initially, but, you know, I think it was like in the 1980s or 90s where citizens became consumers, like in okay. just okay. language, you know, okay. like our job, like we are, cons- that's what they call us. We are called consumers by the people yeah. at the, in yep. charge, right? Like the government, the whoever, like we're consumers, but yep. actually we're citizens. And actually what we need to do is kind of like take back our identity as citizens and support each other. Like you, you know, producing in Peru with people who you know and can support and you know the culture and you're Mm -hmm. doing something where not only are you giving people jobs, but you're dealing with waste product that was created in that culture. So Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can imagine the change in your perspective and your understanding of how this is clicking now. My business is now clicking because I'm in this culture where I'm from. I'm helping people have a good life and I'm taking the landfill waste away from the, I'm reducing that issue by yeah. using this waste. It's so, it's pretty cool. It's like super circular. And I love that about your business. And you, you were asking me about like my two year plan and whatnot, but like also in my plan, it's not only like providing um my seamstresses with quote unquote a good life like i want them to i want to have conversations with them of like what do you want to do um a lot of people in peru live in like survival mode um so they don't even have time to think about like what they're you know what are they actually interested in like okay you're you're a seamstress you're sewing stuff for me right now but like what do you actually want to do are you interested what's your dream like, like yeah what are you interested in like with loose we actually do a lot of the design together um which is uncommon for most um like brands to design with their seamstresses but like she has so many incredible ideas 
Um, so like bringing them into the the process, um, I think is really important. And like that only yeah. happens from creating these actual human relationships with the people that yeah. we work with. But that can't yeah. happen if you're working with a huge factory making thousands of shirts, you know, like that's yeah. physically impossible. Yeah. Um, so and I think I, too, like that, that speaks to another level of, um, you know, I always think about textile upcycling as being like a circle of, of wins, like, you know, your the the idea of like creating jobs and for people that you actually care about and that they know that they're an important piece of the of the system right like they're not just another sewer they're like somebody who has design input there's somebody who had like you know mm-hmm. not only and it's also really good for business being honest like if your seamstress has knows that she has say in the way things are constructed, she's going to w- make sure that the way it's constructed is something that she can make beautifully, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then it's going to increase the quality of your product. So it's just like, again, it goes back to that circle of wins where there is absolutely nothing that that I've ever run across that's not just purely good about textile mm-hmm. upcycling. So uh, I'm yeah. really super, super glad to have major, um, to just have this, had this conversation and to have met you and just to know more about your brand and what you're up to. And I just encourage everybody who's out there listening to look this girl up. Loti is L-O-T-I and what your website is L-O-T-I, L-O-T-I dot com, yes. right? Yes, because Loti was taken, um, but also my my nickname growing up, because my mom's name is Loti, was Loti Loti. So then that's why the (laughs) website is Loti Loti. That's awesome. So yeah, check her out. And if you have um, the ability to get on our show notes page and find more links to um, more information about Loti um, and the designer Loti. (laughs) you will learn much more about them there and um thank you so much for sharing your story with us today thank you this was lovely i I love talking about textile upcycling this is this has been great awesome awesome thank you hey so i'm over here and i'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the rags to riches textile upcycling podcast thank you for being with me Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Van Belhiasen. If you want to dive in deep, head over to rags2riches-textileupcyclingpodcast.com. 